so how was the Lord of the Rings like when you went? It was awesome. The was theater good. was packed. Oh, it was. Yeah. My brother-in-law posted on Facebook that he went. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure he loved it. He's that one brother-in-law that, out of all my brother-in-laws, would definitely like that. So. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I actually looked up on my emails. So people criticize me for using my Hotmail account. Yeah. But it's kind of almost it's a journal to me now. Okay. Uh, although I don't use email like I used to anymore yeah. because with the invention of Facebook and everything. So yeah. I sent, I had an email that I sent Lincoln or Lincoln sent back to me yeah. on December 16th, 2003. So the day before it came out, actually that's the, oh, okay. the night I think I'm pretty sure we went. It was did like I go the midnight showing. Yeah. Did I go with you to the midnight showing? No, my parents wouldn't let me. Oh, they wouldn't. No. Oh man. Cause I remember my girlfriend went without oh, me really? as well. I think she ran into you guys in the theater. Oh, did she? Because I remember, I know just from my email communication with it's with Lincoln, yeah. um, I know myself and Jason went, and I'm sure that Blake went, yeah. and I'm sure my brother went, and I was like, I can't remember if who else was there, if you were there or, or, or not, but I, I mean, it's a three and a half hour movie so we didn't get out till 3 30 and i remember my parents made me go to seminary the next morning yeah yeah that was yeah same so thing i got for me. an hour and a half of sleep but yeah but it was good it was good so when did you do you think you saw it that weekend at least then or did you have to wait yeah a while? i just didn't see it i think i saw it like the next i saw it on official opening day not opening night uh, okay yeah the 12 o'clock showing yeah i do remember one th- pretty much the only thing I remember about that night towards the last 30 minutes of the movie I yeah. had to pee so badly oh really and in the movie at least the movie theater version not the extended version yeah towards the end it like from what I remember it keeps fading in and out yeah like it's going to end but then there's yeah. like another scene and I remember I finally got up out of my chair and I'm walking out and I'm like, oh, I can't miss it. So I'm like standing up in the hallway exit, dying for this movie to end before yeah. I oh, go yeah. pee. Yeah. So I, I remember that very well. Yeah. So me and my dad, like, because there's like another 30 minutes where they go to the ships to travel west or whatever, right? To go to the Elflands. Right. And that takes like 30 minutes. So as soon as it came up to that part, my dad looked at me and he's like, you ready to go home? I'm like, yeah, let's get out of here. Oh, really? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Like that. To me, the the movie's over when they when the ring falls in the volcano, right? Uh, okay. Like, to me, that's the end. That's what we've been spending the last 12 hours leading up to. And it's finally happened. And evil's destroyed. And they're carried off by eagles. And if you want to wait for the scene where everybody wakes up in bed and whatever, and they all smile and cuddle... That's great, but at, like at that point, it is done. The movie's over. The question, yeah, that's is the done, climax right? for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, did did you read the books? No, I didn't. Because I hear like my brother read the books. Yeah. And there's the Hobbit Wars. Is that what's after? Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't imagine. I agree with you to an extent that yeah, when the ring gets thrown into the to Mount Doom, the movie's over. But I couldn't imagine like reading The Return of the King and then however many pages there's left to do The Hobbit Wars being that interested in it. And I remember my brother criticizing Peter Jackson for cutting that out. And I'm like, but that doesn't make any sense. That's not like, like how long do you want this movie to be? 
and really the point of the movie is Frodo in the ring. Yeah. So. so here's the thing with Return of the King and the thing with Lord of the Rings, and I found this on Reddit, was it's like we use the word, we throw around the word epic all the time, mm. but there's a, a style of literature called the epic, right? And an epic is supposed to take several years. It covers a time period of several years, and it's got all these events and traveling from one end of the world to the other. And it's called an epic because it's like its scope is huge. Right. Right. It fits that criteria. Yep. Yeah. And so when when you read an epic, that's like the Iliad or the Odyssey, those kinds of things. And, and they're not things that you just casually read. Like they're things you study, right? Right. Like I think in a lot of ways, the Old Testament probably the first five books of the old testament are like an epic okay because it's generations and traveling all over and building a kingdom and the kingdom gets destroyed and settling in a new world and then being told to leave that place to go to another place like you don't just casually crack open genesis and read it right like you sit down and you study it most definitely and so same kind of thing with lord of the rings is that if you sit down and try and casually read it like it's a novel you're insanely disappointed like i read the fellowship of the ring and i'm like this is oh my goodness i can't stand this yeah i read the fellowship right? of the ring too and i was bored i was like just get on with it already like come on but it's but, yeah it's not something it's not like a simple story it's it's building this whole world and so i guess people get frustrated with the book because there's so much in it and when you're trying to make a movie a movie is not an epic. It's a mini series is an epic, right? Like, right. Uh, but movie is like a novel, and it's got to be short, and it's got to have, um. It's it's got to the the characters have to be very very engaging, mm-hmm. and with an epic, I think the characters tend to take on archetypes. So in the book, Aragorn is always going to be the king. He is always heroic. He always does heroic things right the bad guys are always bad and they're very very bad and everything's very very black and white and they all kind of fit these tropes whereas in the movie you've got Aragorn's insecure about becoming the king Theoden is insecure about the role he's played as the king he doesn't feel like he's been a good king that's worthy of his forefathers you've got this constant insecurity and self-doubt and that's something that people can engage with, but in the book, it's not there. Yeah. And so I think Peter Jackson saved Lord of the Rings with his adaptation by hacking and slashing it. Mm-hmm. He I, took... Yeah, oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, sorry. I, I completely agree with you. So I come from a very academic family. Yeah. And when I go see like a movie with my dad that has history in it, yeah, he wants to hack at it. And I'm like, yeah, I can understand where he's annoyed. Like, he was even annoyed at the Mulan trailer because the architecture wasn't from the same dynasty Mulan was from. (laughs) Like, the new Mulan live-action movie that's coming out. And I was like, you know, Dad, like, just enjoy the movie for what it is. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but, yeah, I completely agree with your analysis there. Yeah, no problem. There's this this episode in The Simpsons where Homer gets a role on Itchy and Scratchy. He's Poochie. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you, have you seen this one? I haven't seen one? that one, no. Okay. And so he goes to all these conventions, and this guy is sitting in the front row, and he's nerdy-looking. He's wearing this shirt that says Genius at Work. 
and he says in episode in season three episode whatever we see uh scratchy play itchy's uh skeleton as a xylophone and he hits the same vertebrae twice making two different sounds are we to believe that this is some kind of alternate dimension <laughs> and all his nerdy friends are laughing with him and then homer says why is someone wearing a shirt that says genius at work watching a kid's cartoon <laughs> oh. and he, the guy pulls out a chocolate bar and says i withdraw my question <laughs> But it's like when anybody nitpicks a movie like that or like when nerds rage about Star Wars, it's like, that's you. Yeah. And and that's how I kind of feel with some, well, I'll call them like the purists of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So, but I, I do remember watching an episode of Friends. Did you watch Friends growing up? Yeah. And I don't know if you remember this episode where um, Ross and Chandler have an old friend coming and they call him Gandalf and Joey's like essentially Joey's like what kind of idiot is named Gandalf and they both look at Joey and say didn't you read Lord of the Rings in high school (laughs) and Joey do you remember this Joey looks back at them and said no I had sex in high school (laughs) so (laughs) so I'd figure Chandler and Ross would be the purest probably oh totally right And, and Joey would be the person that you know, like Peter Jackson hacking at it and and trimming it down to the way he did would appeal probably to Joey. Would appeal to a mass audience. Where, yeah, honestly, if you put in the Hobbit Wars or other details that didn't directly correlate with the story, then yeah, and you know, even Peter Jackson, I think, plays a little bit more to the purists because we have the extended editions that that came out. But even the extended editions don't even cover enough of what's in there. Like, there's so much, and there's all these damn songs. And, like, Lord, Return of the King has two songs. I didn't even have two songs. It's not even close to the number of songs. Like, everybody's constantly breaking out into poetry and singing. And, you know, like, when the writers of Rohan show up outside of Minas Tirith in Pelennor Fields? Yep. And Theoden gives that speech. He says, a, a dark day, a sword day. Um, Ere the Sun Rises or something like that. Like, it's really inspirational. It gives me chills every time I think about it. Right. Like, I think I think about it every time I'm having a bad day at work or whatever. And it just Oh, kinda, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. And it gives me the kick to keep going. Yeah. But what that is songs? taken from, like, 20 lines of poetry. Oh, okay. I did not know <laughs> It's that. like some damn song yeah. in the book. And it's like, holy crap. Like, can you imagine if he just starts breaking out in song when he's about to... No, well, not even half as inspirational. And his... I go th- it, like it. If you Google any of the inspirational speeches that are in Lord of the Rings, none of them are in the book. Yeah, I was gonna ask that <laughs> if, like, the when Aragorn gives that inspirational speech before the quotation marks last charge for for humankind or mankind, um, like if it's that not was actually in the book or not. It's not directly quoted from the book. It's like inspired by another. 40 lines of poetry that they kind of condense and get the meat and potatoes out of and make a wonderful line, right? Right. Turn right. it into a wonderful speech. So there's a lot of that, and that's part of the, the style of literature that Tolkien used in writing the Lord. Like, that's part of writing an epic, is it's not just like a, two people going from point A to point B right. in a simple story. It's it's grand in scope, so... It's very different from our, our last rewatchable that we reviewed with uh, Princess, Princess Bride. Bride. Right. right. So, but, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. Oh, so what Peter Jackson did was he took, he said, okay, Frodo and the Rings, the main quest, 
Aragorn becoming the queen king is a side quest. And those are my two main plots. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm sticking to because there's a lot of like asides and tangents that go on in this novel. It's just like, and this is what happened and blah, blah, blah. And this is what, it, and, and this is the background of this guy that we just ran into. Who's an incidental character who doesn't really add to the story. Right. Right. He cut all that out and he's like, we're trying to get the ring to Mordor and Aragorn's trying to become the king. Yeah. He streamlined it really well. Exactly. Yeah. And that made it very, very watchable. And even like if you read about what this movie almost was, because I think Peter Jackson started working on this in the mid 90s and he was like, "Okay, we'll do two movies and the first movie will cover up until the Battle of Helm's Deep. And then the other movie will pretty much be Return of the King. And he wasn't given a very big budget. And then they worked on it and they worked on it and they'd spent like 15 million dollars and they hadn't really shown anything for it. And the project was almost going to get canceled. And then Peter Jackson hooks up with this other writer and he says, hey, hey, there's three books. You got to make three movies. Yeah, to me, that makes sense. I didn't even know that they were going to trim it down to two. Yeah. I wonder how it went. Do you know how it went with the actors? Because my understanding was they were all in New Zealand filming all three movies together. Yeah. And the project took like almost two years. Yeah, they filmed from 97 to 99 was when they filmed it. And then they did some reshoots for each film. So okay. Return of the King had some reshoots done in 2003 still. Man, I couldn't imagine being called like four years later going back and doing some reshoots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. But, I mean, it. it's a great movie. And so I didn't have time to rewatch it before, before yeah, we right. did this podcast. But I did rewatch it about a year ago. Because yeah. it was on the extended versions were on Netflix, right? And one night I woke up with my little girl, couldn't get her back to sleep. Yeah, she was what do you less do? Less than one, so I watched like almost the entire Lord of the Rings movie, uh, Return of the King movie extended edition, and, and it's I think they did a good job on not over CGIing it. Yeah. Unlike The Hobbit that Peter Jackson did. Yeah. So I, I think that that helps keep it timeless it is a lot yeah there's a lot of practical effects and i think the only like the major cgi aside from Gollum is they just kind of double up the size of everything so like when you see thousands of people on horseback there's really only like a hundred and then they just kind of duplicate that with cgi or whatever post effects but a lot of it like a lot of scale models peter jackson was very very focused on immersing people in the world of middle earth he wanted people to feel like they were there and really make it real. So just like kind of almost ruthless with, with the amount of miniatures that he required in scale models and, and stuff like that. Like everybody's armor, every orc ar- set of orc armor was handmade. All the riders of Rohan's arm, their Wait, armor. They handmade, like handcrafted all of that. Yes. Oh man. But what Peter Jackson did, like it was a huge economic boon for New Zealand because he all of a sudden puts his production company to work and he's like, I need a hundred different sets of orc armor that are all unique. I need a hundred sets of human armor that are all unique. That's quite the undertaking. Yeah. So it was, and then New Zealand still derives a lot of tourism just from Lord of the Rings. Like I think it's like 15... 6%, I think, of all tourism in New Zealand is the main reason why they go is for the Lord of the Rings. No way, really? Yeah, it's something like a ridiculous kind of percentage. of. Well, any percentage for, like, 
I can't think of another place where people go visit because specifically, yeah. Right. And especially as far away as New Zealand, New Zealand. like even if you're from Australia, New Zealand is a plane right away. So, but I think it's like 40% of people say visiting Lord of the Rings sites is part of the reason why they went to New Zealand. Right. So like 6% or something like that are going specifically for it. But 40% of the people are like, well, we had family here. But we really only came for Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> uh, I, I have a mission companion from New Zealand, and yeah. I still talk to him quite a bit. And yeah, yeah anytime, like on our mission, pe- he'd bring up that he's from New Zealand. People yeah. would be like, Lord of the Rings? And he would be like, yep, I've seen all the sights, and yeah, we love Peter Jackson. Because yeah. Peter Jackson himself, he's a New Zealander, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder, like... He, because he brought New Zealand filmmaking to the forefront. So I even wonder if, like, Taika Waititi, if anybody would have even noticed him if it hadn't been for Peter Jackson. Because mm. right. he did a lot to, to make people notice New Zealand and New Zealand filmmaking. So, yeah, no, I don't like the landscape in New Zealand. Probably wasn't really well. Definitely, I don't think it was well known before Peter Jackson did Lord of the Rings, and then all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, where is this? And if you asked me, I'd think, oh, yeah, that's probably the Canadian Rockies. For sure. I look at that and I'm like, oh, isn't that Banff? This looks like Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Lots of the grasslands, especially. Right. I like, I had no idea. And it's really amazing that he is able to make, you know, a country that's a few islands feel like this massive world. Right. Right. He, that was, I think that's something amazing that he did in the movie. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, so I, Sorry, go ahead. Okay. I went through, just after watching it, I came up with like a few points on what's my favorite part of Return of the King. Okay, tell us what's your what favorite did you, part. Well, what did you come up did you Do you have anything in specific in particular? I thought we were all going to come together with bullet points on what we love about this movie. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific, and it's because I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Um. Here I'm gonna start talking about it. some things and and we'll see what it gets flowing out of you, see what that gets out of your brain. Sounds great. Okay, so you have the first two movies, right? The opening scene in Fellowship of the Ring is the Battle of the Last Alliance of Elves and Men, right? right? So probably I think it's the best part of Fellowship of the Ring. And then you have the opening of the Two Towers, which is Gandalf fighting the Balrog. Right. And then Return of the King starts with Gollum. You know, Smeagol, how Smeagol right. became Gollum. Right. Which is what weird because it threw me off after seeing, I, will, I remember rewatching Two Towers and thinking, we're going to go see Shelob right away. Right, right. And then we have this backstory. Yeah. So what did you think about that? I really liked it because it shows where Gollum, how Smeagol kind of evolved into Gollum and how the ring was found. But, but, and they're fishing, which I love fishing. So that's a, <laughs> a great pastime of mine. But what were your thoughts? I think it would have been, uh, so there's like a, a Ralph Bakshi animated version of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Which I think I saw when I was like have 10 years old. Yeah. But so before time. the Peter Jackson ones came out, my dad watched that movie all the time. So that was my first exposure to Lord of the Rings. And it has that Smeagol scene. First, it talks about the formation of the rings. Okay. And it's very similar to the start of Fellowship. Fellowship, yeah. And then it talks about how um, Isildur failed to destroy the ring and then he was killed. 
and then it shows how Gollum got the ring. Okay. And I think it kind of fits better there. Yeah, I guess I, I would agree with that. Right. Because it, it kind of, I felt it was a little bit, it kind of threw me out of place. Like, what is this? Yeah. And, but yeah, I, I think both work, but I think your point is definitely valid that it, it was better with that, that version. Uh, but on the other hand, on the other hand, okay, okay. on the other hand, I think what he's achieving with that is that he's setting the, the stage for the conclusion of the return of the King where it's all about Gollum, right? Like right. Gollum ends up inadvertently becoming the hero and it's because of his obsession with the ring. Right. So I think that he's he's priming us with Gollum's story at the start of The Return of the King because that's going to be the most significant plot point in the movie coming. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. I see that. <laughs> I don't know. You've, you've talked me both ways. So. I know. I Well, I've talked myself both ways, so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you ever play the like the PS2 game, Return of the King? I think so. I remember playing a game... Yeah, like, are you like Aragorn, or you could be Legolas, and you go through fighting all these people? Yeah. Gimli. Yeah, I remember that. I forgot about it completely until you mentioned it right now. Yeah, well, the, okay, so the only reason why I remember it is that, like, the game came out before the movie, and it contained some footage from the movie in the game. Oh, okay. And so one of my friends had rented it or bought it or something, so I was really, really excited, and I'm watching it. And the first quest you go on is the Halls of the Dead. Okay. And so because of that, every time I watch Return of the King, I think, okay, we learn about Smeagol, and then it's Halls of the Dead, because that was the first thing in the PlayStation game. And even to this day, like when I sat in the theater to watch it, I watched Smeagol, and then it goes to like, they're, it's it goes to Frodo and Sam and Gollum walking around Minas Morgul or whatever, and I'm like, where, aren't they at Halls of the Dead? Mm. No, because that's in another game. hour. Damn it. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, I completely forgot about this video game until you told me. Like, <laughs> now I want to go play it. Like I played the video game before I watched the movie. And the first thing in the game was Halls of the Dead. So I always think, oh, we're going to Halls of the Dead. First thing, first stop, Halls of the Dead. Nope. Nope. Yeah, hour later. No, nope, it's, yeah. First, we've got to wander around. Minas Morgul, climb the stairs. And then we've got to get the beacon lit at <laughs> Minas yeah. Tirith. Listen to and a then lot of talking as well. All the, everybody's got to go to that damn camp and then Elrond's got to come with the sword and like it's on and on and on and on. And then they finally get to where I thought the movie was going to be. Yeah. An hour later. So that's don't worry. That... You had two and a half hours left of the movie. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, so just get comfy. I think this was like one of the only movies where I, my butt was super sore and tired sore by after. the end of it. But oh, yeah. you know, towards the end of it, I had to pee so badly that you weren't even, even yeah, so <laughs> you didn't even notice. No, no, just something else to think about while I did that. Um, I think I guess one of my and, and you know this is another one where purists will criticize. Is it is her name Eowyn? Yeah. Yeah, Eowyn, kind of like the her story. Yeah. Um, I really actually did like it. Now I don't know I know because I I have read the Fellowship and I've read the Hobbit but I never read Two Towers or. Return of the King, I could never get to it. Still to this day, I wouldn't be able to get through it. Yeah. Um, but I, I know that they really played up the love story, and I don't know if she actually killed that um, ring wraith in the book, but I think that the way they did that uh, was great. And I always remember the uh, the ring wraith, I think, saying, it's almost like Macbeth, I can't be killed yeah, yeah, by, yeah. 
by a man and she's like I'm no man and just decapitates him and so a, yeah I would say the Witch King of Angmar is like one of my favorite villains of all time like he's up there with Darth Vader and Hannibal Lecter and that's the ring wraith I'm talking about yeah yeah okay. so there's a scene in the extended where um, Gandalf is running through Minas Tirith with uh, with Pippin or Merry or whichever hobbit he's with I think he's trying to say Faramir and the Witch King of Angmar comes down and just says pretty much a bunch of depressing, like, this is the end of the world. Why are you still trying? Give up. The Age of Men is over. And Gandalf holds up his staff and the Witch King pulls out his sword and then it lights on fire and then Gandalf's staff explodes. Oh. I don't remember that. I'm going to have to it's go in the, back It's only in the it extended, but it's it is extended. just, oh, it is so awesome because it's just like, Gandalf's always been super powerful, right? And then the the Witch King of Angmar comes down and destroys his staff. Oh man! And and you really start to feel hopeless, yeah, right? Definitely and then and then um, I think it's when uh, it's at the same time that Frodo and Sam are wandering around Mordor and they almost get caught or something like that with the ring, and that's what dist- distracts him and he leaves. Okay. But other than that, it's just like. You feel like Gandalf's going to die here. Like this guy is too powerful. Even for and Gandalf. It, but yeah, he that story with Eowyn, Eowyn killing the Witch King is exactly the same as the novel. Okay. Yeah. So that part that part wasn't changed at all. Oh, but wasn't? I think okay, that's I good. think the love story is played up a little bit more, but her uh, fighting to save Theoden and killing the Witch King was exactly the same. Yeah. And the reason I remember Blake's dad, yeah, uh, Richard, talking about, man, they're really playing up this love story and that really didn't happen between Eowyn and, and Aragorn. Yeah. So, But then also I know that, um, oh gosh, Liv Tyler's character, Arwen, is that what her name is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Arwen... Uh, is in the movie a lot more really than what she was mentioned in the books. Yeah. From what I've been told and from what really what I remember about Fellowship of the Ring as well. Like yeah. I don't even know if she was mentioned in, in the book and Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, the love story gets played up a lot more. Uh both of the love stories. But I just think like it is a bit annoying and it I like I kinda roll my eyes up about it, but at the same time like it just it adds this other layer to Aragorn that makes him a lot more human and a lot less just like, I'm a hero and I do heroic things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, it, it just... gives kind of some flavor because the story is, it's pretty intense in a way or like the movie, something's always going on. And I remember watching the extras or the, the special features on the DVD and in Fellowship of the Ring, they really wanted to make bag end a really happy a really bright place because the rest of the movie would be more dark and intense and i think kind of the love story melding it in during those dark and intense moments kind of helps give some diversification of the story within the movie so it's not completely exhausting of just three and a half hours of either boredom or intense storyline or fighting going on yeah, and like like it gives a reason for Aragorn to fight other than like he's destined to become the king. Right. 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 Like you start giving all these personal 
you start personalizing the reasons for why people are going to war instead of it just being like going to war because that's what heroes do it's like well my future wife might die if we don't destroy the ring like now right. i've got a personal stake in this other than yeah there's the whole fate of the world which is important but now like the fate of my world my personal world right. is tied to this right like my future family yeah yeah really so, in essence. yeah for sure i think purists would hate that but Honestly, like if Lord of the Rings was adapted chapter for chapter, nobody would watch it. I agree because I can't even read through it. No, like it is, you should, you have to sit down and study it. And there's a whole bunch of appendices that you need to refer back and forth to. Like it was a, he created a world. He pretty much created like a, like a scripture almost, right? Like these stories that he's using the characters he's created everything it's like it's not just something that's told in 200 pages right yeah and i think that the purists enjoy the movies still but yeah yeah what you're saying it's almost like scripture it's that epic literary style yeah um it's funny that you bring up that literary style because i remember People, and this doesn't happen anymore, but back when we were in YSA, I felt like people would always be like, that's epic. This is epic. They'd always use that word. And then I was reading a Wikipedia article. I think it was actually on The Lion King. And they were like, this is an epic saga. And then that's where I was reading a lot of what you were just recapping a few minutes ago about an epic. And really, that's the best way to explain Lord of the Rings is it's an epic. And and, and yeah, it's not... um, princess bride it's almost in ways kind of the reverse of princess bride yeah Um, but i like both i like both, so i love both and i'll when i have time i'll for sure want to watch lord of the rings again and when my kids get a little bit older they're only uh two and five right now i'll 100 percent be watching lord of the rings with them the extended versions because my oldest is just six but he started watching him with me oh does he like it yeah does he get scared uh not so much oh okay I kind of like I um, like when they catapult the heads, oh, the yeah. severed heads. In re- I cover his eyes for that part. Okay, okay. Like That's there's smart. certain parts where I'm like, oh, this is a bit gruesome, so I cover it. There's one part where like um, when the orcs take Osgiliath. Oh yeah. Um, where one guy gets stabbed with a spear right in the sternum when he's laying down on the ground. Oh, I don't. I kind of like I cover his eyes for that part. Like anything where it gets like real gritty violence, where it's like really up close and personal, uh-huh. I cover his eyes. When it's just general battlefield violence, right? There's not. But when it's like something that's in your face and up close and personal, that's where I kind of cover his eyes for. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I remember getting home from my mission. I went down to Utah, and yeah. I watched it with my nephew. Yeah. Um, and my nephew would call. Legolas, Will Turner with the sword. Right. And I remember I was with a girl that I kind of quasi, I don't even know what to call it. But anyway, she was like, isn't he a little young to watch this? But looking back on it, he was probably like eight. And yeah. I was like, oh, he's fine. I don't know. It's yeah. my uncle's kid. I know he's going to have really liberal television viewing <laughs> privileges that that he'll have. So, but... Yeah, I think I think I'd show my kid, but I'd wait a couple of years. I find my boys really sensitive to a lot of things, so I don't know. Like my son is too, mm-hmm. and 
but for some reason this just doesn't bug him. Like, I think there's just something about general battlefield violence that is just kind of... I think because it's so impersonal that it's just, like, it's not scary. Right, and it's, it is it is really fictional. Like, it's yeah. orcs and goblins, so I can see it that way. Yeah. I show my kid Batman the animated series, yeah, and my wife was worried that it was too dark and scary, but my little boy loves it. And right. yeah, there's creepy parts. Like, there's one episode where they, like, kidnap kids in the sewer. The Joker is creepy. Um, yeah. The Penguin's creepy. The Riddler's creepy. And my boy loves it and eats it up. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I'll probably wait another year or two because your your kid's six. Yeah. And mine, my kid's not even five yet. He'll turn five oh, okay. next week. So. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I'll like, probably wait another year or two. I was just, I was watching it, like, a couple weeks ago. I think it was like Boxing Day. I was like, I'm just going to watch all of these. Mm-hmm. And my kids came down the stairs and they're like, what are you doing? Can you put on a show? I said, nope, you're too late. This is what I'm watching. You can Dad's hang out turn. or you can go upstairs. I don't care. What did they do? They stayed downstairs? They stayed and watched. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then, so me and my son are reading The Hobbit together now too. Oh, wow. While I'm okay. reading it to him. And I don't think he really picks up on what's going on. Uh, that was my next question. If he, uh, how well he's following but, him. He likes sitting there while I read to him, so I'm happy with that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I read my kid, like, I still read him Dr. Seuss. Right. And, uh, oh gosh, what's the Canadian Dr. Seuss? I can't remember his name. Robert Munch. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we have yeah. a bunch of those books. But I, since I didn't grow up in Canada, I never read it. <laughs> you don't know Robert Munch? Yeah, I had no idea until yeah. Elise told me. And I was like, oh, this is nice. But there's some pretty good books. Like, Robert Munch has some fishing books that that we read, so... Have you ever seen like on YouTube one of Robert Munch's live performances? No, I didn't even know. About he's like that. bouncing off the walls, but he actually suffered from cocaine addiction for a oh, long time. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So then you watch his like live performances, and you're like, okay, I get why you're like bouncing off the walls <laughs> like Chris Farley. You also have a cocaine problem. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. On a okay. side note, I got an yeah. idea. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. Um, last time you talked about how you showed your kids uh, videos of magicians, or maybe this is a yeah, yeah, listened. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that was us or when I was listening to your other podcasts. And so we're actually going to hire Richard Young for oh, my yeah. boy's birthday party. Yeah. So I was like, oh yeah, kids would love a magic trick. Oh magic yeah. Shows, and I'm sure after that, my kid's gonna be wanting me to watch magic things on YouTube. So I'll have to reach out to you to find out which ones are the best. It says Penn and Teller fool us. Is that all? Just Penn and Teller fool us? Yeah. That's okay. what I watch with my son. Okay. So Awesome. Legit. Yeah. Legit. Um, I guess other things, like, I, I can't speak too much of the content because it's been a year since I've seen the movie. Yeah. Um, and I get, like, all the big parts, but is there anything else specific that you wanted to share that you that stood out to you? Yes. Denethor. Like, I texted you about this, but from the moment I saw Denethor, I'm like, that guy looks like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, you know, I didn't get the texted me that, and I was like, I didn't understand, but yeah, he does look the same. Not then you mentioned it, I was like, oh, that's why, because I was like, what in the world is this? I guess both yell when they're burnt on fire, or one yells just because he's a musician, and the other is yelling because he's on fire, but then you're like, no, they look the same. It's like, they look exactly, oh, they like do. as soon as Denethor pours that bottle of oil on his head, and he's holding it over his head, I'm just expecting him to say, all aboard! <laughs> And crazy train to start. Yeah, yeah. So no, anybody no, who's true. listening to this, I will give you ten dollars if you make a Denethor crazy train fan video. Oh yeah, 
I would, I'd match Andrew's contribution. <laughs> so 20 bucks if you make a Denethor, Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train mashup YouTube video. Most definitely. Yeah. It has to be decent quality, though. Decent quality. But, we'll, yeah, 20 bucks for that. There you go. And if you do the uh, um, Clay Aiken Hollow Man video, <laughs> that's 50 yeah. bucks. So you've got a potential of $70 coming your way. Most definitely. <laughs> I actually just listened to that podcast. And I was texting. I was at, I'm at the gym, my New Year's resolution. Surprise, surprise. Oh, okay. Not to yeah. be fat anymore. But yeah. uh, I was texting you guys and listening to that podcast at the same time. Okay. And it was weird because I'm listening to you and Blake. And then I'm texting you and Blake. And then I'm like two different conversations with the same people. So anyways, side well, tangent. Well, serial killer music is trending high with housewives because oh, really? they all listen to true crime podcasts. They, my housewife does that. Yeah, as does my housewife. It oh, is man. Well, what? my – oh, geez. That's weird. I did for a while, but then I was like, I can just read the Wikipedia article in 15 minutes and – not listen to this lady for 50. Oh man. Like, so my wife really liked criminal minds when we first got married and yeah. we just kind of lost out of it. But yeah, yeah, she's listening to all these like podcasts where a woman gets abducted or some serial killers killing a bunch of people. For a while, my wife was really into reading about Ted Bundy. Right. And I am like, is this healthy? But I know other wives did it, and I guess your wife does it too. So. And do you know, my mom used to just watch like cold case files all the time. Oh, really? I I at home. Oh, yeah, and American Justice and all those kinds of crime shows. So maybe it's just something about women and Creepy being at crimes. home and serial killers. That so I don't know. Maybe it's like the opposite of taking care of kids. So that's really yeah. Weird. Maybe that's what it is. Is it's like the literal escape? Who knows? I called yeah. my wife today, uh, a pig pen. But instead yeah. of dirt, it was always kids. The right. kids would follow yeah. her, literally, and the dog would follow her everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. Like, everywhere she'd go, and I'm just like, well, I don't know what to do, honey. They, I grab them, and when I, like, snuggle them or do something with them, and they just gravitate to you when, as soon as you walk into the room. So. Yeah, my kids are only happy to see me when I come home from work yep. if they have just gotten in trouble, like, the minute before I walk in the door. <laughs> So I just uh, know as soon as my daughter runs up and says, daddy, daddy, and gives me a hug, I say, what did you just do wrong? <laughs> and she's like, nothing, yeah. nothing. Yeah. And you know, it's something. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. And then my wife tells me the story. Yeah. It's pretty much, my kids are still in the stage where they're excited to see me, but that yeah. lasts for about 25 seconds and then they go back to mom. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah. my boy gets really excited when I get, I have like a little fishing boat. If I get, start getting that ready, then he gets pumped to go oh, okay. fishing with me, but that's about it. Right. But, like an actual fishing boat? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has a motor. It's 14 feet long. You're not talking a toy boat is what I mean. Like oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's an actual boat. fishing boat. So yeah. I bought it off Kijiji for like 1500 bucks. Wow. New at Bass Pro, it would have probably been about six grand. Right. But I bought like a crappy one and then I spent like six weeks fixing it up. Right. And no, it's pretty good. It's actually really good. I think it does what I want it to do. Um, maybe in the future we'd get a different type of boat, but I can't bring myself to spend like some people, I think my in-laws spent maybe like 20 plus grand on their boat. Oh, and wow. I'm just like, there's just no way because I want a boat <laughs> for fishing, not for water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, I've seen, I think I've asked on Facebook or Instagram 
I'll yeah. see pictures of you and your your family on a boat. Is that your boat yeah. or is that your in-laws? It's my in-laws. I don't own a boat. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess that's hard for I'm me so to imagine. I'm so flattered you thought that I would own one like that, but no. Hey, dude, before your mission, I never thought like like you were athletically inclined. You were the least athletically, one of the least athletically inclined people I knew. Yeah, but after you got changed. home, no, what do you mean? After you got home, you could like do stuff physically. It was like, wow, Andrew. Like I remember going shooting and you actually had like confidence with the gun and shooting clay pigeons. I've actually always been good at shooting. Oh, have you? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like always good in archery. I had a pellet gun when I was little. I was uh, always good at shooting. I've never had a problem with shooting. Okay, it's just yeah. like with basketball. Surprise. I just, uh, yeah, basketball, team sports was just like this vicious cycle. So like I had all the, the all my mom's relatives lived in the States. Whenever they come to visit me as I was growing up, they'd be like, oh, you're tall. You must play basketball. Nope. Be like, <laughs> why not? Like, because it doesn't interest me. would be like, you should. Like, why? Because, because you're tall. It's You're tall. And it, it, and it was just like. I was constantly pitted against basketball. <laughs> and, you know, and I had a companion like that. He yeah. was 6'10". Yeah. And I don't know if you know who Chris Bosch was. He was a basketball player for the Raptors. Okay. And we go into this big and tall store in Hamilton, and yeah. he could wear it. And every time missionaries just met him, like, oh, yeah, you should play basketball. He was awful at basketball. Yeah. Just awful. And, you know, that's not his interest. He's – He's he was musically inclined. He's actually really good at like beatboxing and and drums. Right. So it kind of reminded me of you a little bit. So but. that was the thing. Like with basketball, I had no natural interest in it. I didn't have any aptitude with it. I was just tall, and then people would tell me I should play it because I'm tall, and I'm like, it's this thing I'm not interested in that I don't care about, and you're telling me I have to do it because I'm tall. So now I'm definitely not going to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> because yeah. you're telling me I have to do it. But anyway, I didn't. It took me forever to uh, go uh, wake surfing. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, so you successfully did it though. Yeah, but I really didn't want to for a long time. But I ended up doing it. Because your wife does it with like your kids. Yeah, she does yeah. it with my kids. She does it standing on her head two weeks after giving birth. Like, oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um. But, oh yeah, definitely. Oh, do you um, know? I, I there's something I was thinking about today. So it was the, um, this is why, this was how I knew Ashley was the woman I wanted to marry. Tell me how. Okay. So we were going to a hockey game in Edmonton and we took a couple people with us and we were driving, I was driving her car and we were cruising down the highway and I got pulled over and I've never been pulled over by a cop and I've never been pulled over on a highway. So I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm in the left lane. And I pull over on the left shoulder which okay. I now know is exactly what you do not do. Yeah. But the, the cop comes over and starts yelling at me for being pulled over on the wrong shoulder and says I'm going to get everybody killed and blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, okay, this has never happened to me before. I'm sorry. So I pull over on the right shoulder, and then he comes over, and he says, is this your car? I say, no, it's my girlfriend's car. He says, well, I want to see her driver's license too. I say, okay. okay. So he looks at my driver's license. He looks at hers, and she had like an unpaid ticket or a recent transit ticket or something like that. Okay. He comes back, and he's like, you've got an unpaid ticket on your license. I'm putting you under arrest. You have to get in my car. No. And I'm like, to Ashley? Yeah. Yeah. And so me and the other people in the car are like freaking out. I'm like, are we going to have to go bail her out of jail or what's going to happen? Are we going to get to the hockey game? Like blah, blah, blah. And then I see her sitting in the back seat and the cop sitting in the front seat. And I get this text and she says, me and the cop are best friends. 
I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, I invited him to come to the hockey game. (laughs) Just like, like, just wait right there and then? Yeah, like she just made friends with him. Like she didn't know him. Just She's just like, I, yeah, I made, I made friends with the cop. We're buddies now. And talked him down from arresting her to, <laughs> hey, come to the hockey game with She's us. She's just like, hey, why don't you come to the hockey game with us? He's like, no, I got to work for the rest of the shift. And then he, it turns out like she had just paid the ticket or something like that. Uh, he called okay. it in or whatever and brought her back to the car and gave me a speeding ticket, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, just it was just that like that she moment. gets put under arrest and is able to get chummy with the cop and, it's and invite him to the hockey game. And I'm like, you know what? I think that's somebody I want to have with me for the rest of my life. Definitely. <laughs> Sounds like you got a good one. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then I found out she could like water ski on her standing on her head two weeks after she gave birth. So. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was impressed that she could uh, do the wakeboarding with, uh, with a kid. Maybe yeah, two kids. I don't even know. I was like, oh, yeah. man, that's uh, that's some skills. Yeah, so she's kind of like the dad in our family. Oh, that's nice. In a lot of ways, Elise is too. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how to change a battery in the car. Okay. And she did. And I was like, oh, man. Because I was like, oh, we'll just take nice. a Canadian tire, and I know we can pay someone like 100 bucks, and they'll do it. Yeah. She's like, are you crazy? Give me the wrench, and then she did it right on the spot. I was like, "Oh, that's all you need to do to change the battery." Oh my god! <laughs> I've never had a battery amazing. die on me in the car, so yeah, I didn't know. yeah. But, anyways, that's farm awesome. Girl, so, but to go back to Lord of the Rings, yeah, back to I Lord did, of the Rings. I did some research. I remember watching the Academy Awards for yeah. that year. Did you watch it? Yeah, because Lord of the Rings like swept. Return of the King swept, right? It it got nominated for twelve, yeah, and it won eleven. So it right. tied the most all time with Ben Hur and, and Titanic. Titanic. Or, I like to call it Titanic. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I also remember, and I tried to find this on Google, that someone else won something, and in their acceptance speech, they were they said, "I'm just grateful that Lord of the Rings wasn't nominated for this category." <laughs> I couldn't find out who it was, but I remember that specifically. Right, yeah. Because they essentially close to swept the entire Oscars. Yeah. And rightly so. It was. I think it was the best movie that year. And I don't think Two Towers did really well at the Oscars, and I really like Two Towers. Yeah. Fellowship of the Ring did okay. If I remember, Fellowship had four Oscars, and, and Two Towers had two. So yeah. I think Return of the King was kind of the okay, Peter Jackson, you did an amazing job in film, so we're going to yeah, record it. Yeah, it was kind of an acknowledgement of the the entire undertaking of all right. three films. Like, right. not, But I think Return of the King, even like that's the one that I can watch over and over and over again. The other two, I'm kind of like, eh. Yeah. yeah. But this I like one, the Battle of Helm Deep, Helm's Deep onward. But yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can watch... The start of Fellowship of the Ring and the la- end of Fellowship of the Ring, and I can watch the Battle of Helm's Deep, but Return of the King's the one that I can watch from front to back, and I just think, like, oh, I find that movie so inspiring, and I, the reason why I find it so inspiring is that you've got this... Not only do you have this, like, all-powerful force of darkness that's going to come and destroy you physically... Um, all your main characters are struggling with self-doubt mm-hmm. and over and trying to overcome that, right? Right. 
so Aragorn is struggling with his insecurity and doubt because he's like a ranger of the north and nobody thinks he's truly, even though he's genetically an heir to the kingdom of Gondor, nobody really believes he could become king and he's struggling with that insecurity. And then Elrond comes with the reforged sword and gives it to him and then he's got to go into the halls of the dead. And I guess in the book, the dead don't say anything. Oh, they don't speak. It's like, yeah, they don't say anything when he goes to get when he goes into the halls of the dead to get them to come fight for him. Okay. But in that scene in The Lord of the Rings, um, he draws the sword, and uh, and he's able to sword fight with the ghost instead of just passing through the ghost. Okay. And the ghost freaks out and says that line was broken, and then he puts the sword up to his throat and says it's been remade. Huh. And I'm just like, oh, like Aragorn has taken on and accepted the burden of responsibility that's his to become the king, to stand up to the position he's been appointed to. Mm-hmm. And and it's just this awesome kind of confrontation. And from then on, Aragorn is strong and and powerful in his his position. Right. Right. And I just think like the, the real world application of that is you're a dad, you might be a manager, you might be you have some position of responsibility and the people around you look to you to bear that responsibility. Mm. They don't look to you to be their buddy all the time. Right. Right. And so when you're a dad, that means you need to say no to your kids. When you're a boss, it means you need to say no to your employees and give them structure and, and reprimand them and guide them and show them what they need to do and, and set clear expectations. You, You can't be a shrew. And they just walk all over you and not respect you. And let you. people exactly right. And that's kind of the that's the struggle that Aragorn's going through, right? Is that I've been given this position, but I don't think I can do it. But all these people are looking at me to do it, and the fate of the world depends on me. So now I have to stand in and assert assert myself in this position. Right. No, that's very that's very deep. I never I never extrapolated that from Aragorn's story. Well, I'm sure somewhere deep down you look at you 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 get inspired by it, right? No, you totally do. Yeah, but you don't know why you get inspired by it. I think that's why you get inspired by it because the situation he's going through is a situation everybody goes through. Learning to stand up and take responsibility, and realize that people are looking at you to do a certain thing, and you can't just be a shrew. You need to to stand up and be responsible. Right. You have expectations that. Yeah. That are set upon you. It reminds me of that quote. I don't know if you remember this or ever heard of this quote from Churchill, where there comes a time in every man's life where you're figuratively tapped on the shoulder. Right. And you're given an opportunity to do something great that's tailored to you. And what a tragedy it would be if you're not ready for that moment. Aragorn was ready for that moment. And, and I think you're right. And that's real life applicable to all of us. Um, even if we're not fathers, leadership roles in work, leadership roles when we volunteer or with other family members, like maybe you're an aunt or uncle. Um, definitely. No, you're right there for sure. I think, and that's something that's not shown in the book. Like Aragorn's always just like, I'm going to be a King, but it, so in the movie, I think that's something that a different creative direction that just added a lot of depth and dimension. Yep. I like um, it. Do you know if in the book, you know, like kind of the competition that uh, Gimli and Legolas have, the killing yeah. competition was that in the book? I think it's in the book. Yeah, okay, because I really I can't like confirm, that. But I've heard movie. that it's in the book. Okay, but that's I think like I think you look at all these relationships that are formed in the book. Like you've also got as much as you've got Eowyn's relationship with Aragorn, 
it's Eowyn's relationship with Theoden that's really powerful, right? Right. Is that even though she's a woman, she's stepping in, she's showing herself as a natural leader in a, in a man's world. Right. And he's constantly telling her, like, you, I've given instruction for you to rule the kingdom in my stead, all these things. And then she comes at the end to save him, um, but he ends up dying anyway. And what he says at the end, she says, I'm sorry I couldn't save you. And he says, no, you have saved me. I can now go to my forefathers and not feel unworthy in their presence. Mm. Right? right? So Thaden's ha- has all, he carries all this guilt and insecurity because he let the kingdom decay and rot while Saruman possessed him. Right. And, and so much happened under his watch where, he, and he wasn't able to protect his kingdom. And then Aragorn comes in as the rightful heir and ruler of the kingdom of men. And he's, he feels insecure that Aragorn was showing himself as a true leader when it should have been him. But then he rallies the riders of Rohan and they come and save the day in the battle of Pelennor fields. And you see Theoden stand up and he rallies all the people together before they charge. Mm -hmm. And then the Oliphants come and he automatically gets everybody to reform the line. And he, and he takes charge and asserts himself and stands as the King he's supposed to be. And part of that was because of Eowyn's influence on him. Right. Right. You know, I remember a part with Eowyn when she grabs, I can't remember which Hobbit it is. And she essentially says that we can still be a part of this, play an important part in this whole, whole story or this epic. Yeah. Like you're not too small for this. Exactly. And really that's the story, right? Because Frodo, a Hobbit, where in many times throughout the movies, People underestimate them. People overlook them. They don't value the strength that the hobbits have. But it's because of the hobbits. They saved the world. It was Frodo that took the ring to the mountain, accompanied by Samwise. Although Frodo kind of faltered in the end. It was Gollum. Gollum was a hobbit originally. Yeah. And it was those little people that ended up mattering in the story or being the real heroes. So, you know, like, have you heard of Netflix policy like they have no brilliant assholes Uh, no so they anybody who's like because you get somebody who's like a real gung-ho new grad they think they're going to come and shake up and and dominate and have like when they hire yeah and so if anybody shows themselves to be like a brilliant Mm a-hole they fire them because they don't want people who dominate all conversation dominate all meetings dominate all ideas Right. Um, or, or because they're smart and skillful, they think they can treat people like crap or be jerks or, or whatever. Everybody's got to be a team player at Netflix. Right. That makes and, sense, though. Yeah. And I think that's what the sh- Hobbits show, is that you give the smallest people a tremendous task, they can do tremendous things. Yeah. They don't need to be superstars. And that's kind of the thing, right? Is is Frodo asks Aragorn to carry the ring, and Aragorn says, I won't. And he asks Gandalf to take the ring. Gandalf says, Gandalf I won't. He wouldn't. Yeah, that's right. That's I think right. that's one thing that he shows is the power of friendship and the power of teamwork, and that small, ordinary people working together can accomplish tremendous things. It's not superstars things. who win the day. Right. Right. And that's. And that's funny because I, I remember at my orientation, my MBA, um, they were talking that in the past they've had people apply with incredible GPAs 
and incredible GMAT scores. But then, like, in their little written response letter, they essentially state, I don't like to work with people because people are stupid. I would just rather do this on my own. Yeah. They don't even they don't even accept them. And, you know, Haskane, it's a, it's a decent school for sure, but it's not, like, it's not an elite, like, like an Ivy League school. But, but yeah, they value teamwork. And it makes sense because I do so much teamwork, and I look at a lot of work that's done like I remember reading something about Star Wars and how the original episode four, five, six, A New Hope through Return of the Jedi, a lot of collaboration was done with that. Right. Less collaboration was done with the prequels because yeah. now you have George Lucas, the Star Wars God. I am not going to critique or make any suggestions because it's George Lucas. Yeah. And, and so I remember reading something about that and the quality suffered. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, there's something definitely there. And I think Lord of the Rings is a great story of, of teamwork and, uh, and working together to accomplish a, a task. Like what I've observed about like real strong leadership is that they're not the people with the great idea. They're people who can gather the troops, mm. get everybody to put their two cents in, find out what the best alternative is and make sure it gets done. Right. And that's what the hobbits do, right? Totally. And and even that's what Frodo Frodo says, I'll take the ring to Mordor. He's the one guy who's standing up there, everybody's sitting together, and he's just says, I'll do it, but I'll I don't do know it. the way. Yeah. Right? So you guys gotta show me the way, but I'll I'll carry the ring, right? Right. No, that's totally true. And and you know, I think of like other movies too, like Wizard of Oz with Dorothy. Dorothy's just like a little teenage girl. She's going yeah. off to see the wizard and she's like the team lead and Tell Scarecrow, hey, I'm going to go see the wizard. You should come too. And yeah. So the Tin Man and the Lion. So, so yeah. And the Hobbit's kind of is very similar to to that ilk. And like they've got, and then even like the true hero of the day ends up being Gollum, right? Right. Because he's the one who ends up falling bites into. <laughs> yeah. He's the one the who ends up destroying the ring. And and that kind of shows that like. The experiences in your life that are that feel like a constant thorn in your side, mm-hmm. and this like burden yet because there's so many times where they think about killing Gollum, yeah, and they don't want to they and it, and you're honestly like why are they even keeping him, right, right, but he ends up so he ends up saving the day accidentally so it's kind of like all these experiences that burden your life that you wonder why you're carrying it around, they can end up serving a purpose. That you just can't see. You can't see it all at once, but these thorns in your side, these aches that you carry around, they end up serving a purpose in the end, but sometimes you just can't see it. <laughs> <laughs>